Well, good morning again at eight minutes after five o'clock on this Saturday morning. Orion Samuelson with you to talk about one of our most basic industries, food production and distribution throughout the United States and the world. And uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, talking to Matt, a year ago, I was hoping I could do a market report without mentioning the U.S.-China trade war. Well, I got my wish, but uh, I don't know if it's any better than talking about the China-U.S. trade war. I'm looking at my Reuters screen for some headlines this morning, and one that I note that I like, China's Wuhan province, where the coronavirus emerged, begins to lift its lockdown as it's reporting fewer and fewer cases of coronavirus in that province where it I guess, basically started. And then another interesting headline, the U.S. military is watching coronavirus infection trends in Chicago, Michigan, Florida, and Louisiana with concern as it weighs where else it may need to deploy after boosting aid to New York, California, and Washington. That, according to Air Force General John Hyten, who is vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, in a statement yesterday, he said the military was doing its own analysis as well as looking at data on infections compiled elsewhere in the government. The uh, general said there's a certain number of places where we have concerns, and they are Chicago, Michigan, Florida, Louisiana. He was talking to a group of reporters and was asked where field hospitals could head next. He said, and I quote, those are the areas that we're looking at and trying to figure out where to go next. Confirmed coronavirus cases in the United States reached 100,040 yesterday. That's the highest number in the world, and the Army Corps of Engineers said yesterday it was aiming to provide facilities for 3,000 people with the coronavirus at Chicago's McCormick Place Convention Center. They hope to have those beds available by April 24th. It'll cost about $75 million. But the military is already deploying field hospitals to Seattle and New York. A Navy hospital ship arrived yesterday in Los Angeles, and another one is expected to reach New York City on Monday, where General Hyten said the city was still dredging the harbor to allow the massive ship to dock. Each ship has a capacity of about a 1,000 beds and would not treat coronavirus patients, instead taking pressure off the overwhelmed civilian hospitals. But General Hyten cautioned the U.S. military only had limited medical capacity in the U.S., and at some point it would have to tap the reserve forces while guarding against drawing medical staff away from civilian facilities. So as I look at my Reuters screen this morning, uh, 
I'm basically looking at headlines which come across the screen in red, and uh, nearly all of them dealing with coronavirus in Japan and in the, the European Union and just about any and every country in the world. So that will take the headlines away from uh, some of the other areas that we've been covering over the past year or so. But outside my studio here in Huntley, Illinois, hearing rolls of thunder and rain falling on my roof. So uh, we are getting rain and have been uh, on and off during the night. But uh, I'm grateful that we haven't seen anything really substantial from a uh, challenge from the weather, at least so far. But uh, a lot of you, if you're driving, you'll be driving in rain, so slow down, take it easy. We don't want to have to talk about you in our newscasts. A lot to talk about this morning. Jim Fazell standing by to talk about something you can do besides worry about coronavirus, and that's gardening. And it's time to get started, indoors at least. And so Jim will be talking about that when we uh, ask him to join us here on the on the program in uh, just a minute or two. We're at 13 minutes after 5 o'clock now on this Saturday morning, and uh, we'll be back to talk to Jim when we continue on the Saturday morning show. Getting cabin fever, that's the headline on Jim Fazell's topic for this morning. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Orin. Are you getting a cabin fever out there in Utley? <laughs> Not too badly, no, because yeah. I'm watching reruns of Bonanza and Gunsmoke, and so I'm doing okay. Yeah, thank goodness for, for Turner movies, too, because they got some old classics on there that are that are fine. But, you know, uh, we are getting out and doing our walking here in uh, our community. You can walk on the sidewalks. Interestingly, people give you lots of room if you encounter some people, even friends. So that's fine. We get out and do our exercise, and it's... it's uh, cabin fever there are a lot of things we'd like to do we just don't do them but you know this gives us a real chance to do a lot of things indoors until we can really get outside Uh, as far as gardening is concerned one of the things i like to do is to go through the garden catalogs now that's not to say that we're going to buy everything that's in there but uh, we can look at the garden catalogs and uh, and compare with what we have what we have with what's in there. Read some of the one wonderful descriptions, and actually, uh, most of these descriptions seem to be overdone. But anyway, that's interesting to do. Another thing I like to do, you know, a lot of us have garden books that we rarely look at, and some of them that we haven't really read very much. And I like to pull those off the shelf and sit down and read about things that I haven't even thought about in ages. Gives us time to do that, and we're not in a hurry to do anything else. So there's plenty of time to do that. You can bring the garden book down. I've got a book on diseases that uh, I've used it as a as a resource, but I've never read the stuff that's in there about how these things work. I've got another one on insects the same way. They're big, thick volumes that take me a, a month to read through each one. But anyway, it's a chance to do some of the reading on that, on those things. Also, you know, there's an awful lot of good garden stuff online. Uh, if you have a particular topic that you're interested to, Google it. Read what's online. Now, a lot of that stuff, of course, is propaganda because somebody's trying to sell you stuff. But it gives you a good idea of what's going on out there. Then the other thing we need to do right now is to actually sit down and plan our garden. A lot of us don't take the time to do that because the season gets on us too quickly, and we just go out and plant. 
But anyway, this is a good time to get out a piece of paper. If you have a piece of uh, of uh, graph paper, you can grow, draw, the, draw your garden out the scale and decide what you're going to put and where you're going to put it. A lot of times when we get into the season, I have more stuff to put into the garden than I have room for. This gives you a chance to sit down and just to decide exactly where you're going to put the stuff, uh, how it's going to lay out, how much room you have for various things. And be sure when you do that, do it kind of to scale so that you know that the tomato plants that you put in there aren't, aren't supposed to fit in a one square foot. They're going to have to fit in a, uh, an area that's maybe three feet by three feet. But you can lay that out on that graph paper, and you can pretty well decide what you need. Then the other thing, it's time to start seeds indoors. A lot of us have uh, have done this in the past. You know, a lot of us have tried this on the windows, on the windowsill. Now, it does work, but it's difficult to do that. A couple of reasons. First of all, it's never really light enough, and the light comes from one side. And also, it's pretty hard to keep it warm enough. Um, if you're going to grow in a window, you need to have a good bright window. And unfortunately, this year, we haven't had a lot of sunshine. So we don't have a lot of good bright windows. In fact, um, uh, it's supposed to be, I guess it's supposed to be rainy today and warm but rainy. So it's going to be another day when we really can't do very much on the windowsill. Now, I like to use an artificial light setup. I can tell you what I have. I have two four-foot shop lights that have two bulbs in each one. One, They're hooked to a couple of boards across them, so I have a thing that's two shop lights wide and the four feet long. And I've suspended this over a, a bench that I have down in the basement. And actually, I put it on pulleys after a number of years of just fiddling around with it. But this allows you to have enough light that you can grow actually four 10 by 20 standard flats underneath the lights and have them well lighted. Uh, you need to use grow lights or warm fluorescent white tubes or whatever you can get in, in uh, your grow lights. Uh, you do need to be sure that you can suspend them so they can be lowered because you're going to have to raise them to, to water the plants and you're going to have to lower them to get enough light on the plants. Now, as far as the containers are concerned, if you happen to have any of these, these 10 by 20 foot flats that are just the standard in the industry, they work beautifully. But you can use any kind of boxes. You can use pots. Just make sure that when you use pots that they're the same height. And if you do have pots at a different height, you need to prop them up so that the tops are all equally distant from the lights, and that's very important. If you have a, a plant that's, uh, or a, a pot that's very tall, and you have one that's very short, that one that's very short, when you get the lights down as far as you can, is not going to get enough light. Now, the medium that you need to use is an artificial starter mix. You can get these uh, at any of the, uh, uh, the uh, garden centers, hardware stores, um, some of them, if you call them right now, they'll set that stuff out for you and hand it to you when you come to the store, put it on your charge card, so you still can get this stuff. The stores are not all open, but they are accepting some people coming and getting certain things. The medium is very important. You want to use the artificial starter mix, and it should not have any fertilizer in it to start with. That comes later. Now, you fill the containers up to to top the level, and you firm that down because it needs to be firmed for the, for the seedlings to be able to grow through it. If it's fluffy, they're not going to be able to root in it. For pots, uh, if you're going to grow in pots, you need to seed in hills. That means several seeds planted in one spot, and you need to label each pot. Now, if you're going to grow in the flats, what I like to do is to take an edge of a ruler or something that's wider, a little wider than a ruler, make rows across the flat, with the edge of the of this little board, put a label at the end of each row with what's in that seed. Seed in those rows. 
Now, some seeds need to be covered gently, some do not. Um, if you cover the seeds that need light, they're not going to germinate. And one of the prime uh, culprits as far as this is concerned is lettuce. Lettuce seeds must have light in order to germinate. But once you get it all done, you moisten it, cover the containers with plastic film. That will contain the moisture, keep these things moist so that you don't have to continually water, continually water them until they're up, and then lower the lights down to an inch or so above the top of the soil. That will give you enough light to get them to germinate, and it will provide a little bit of heat. You need to keep the temperatures at about 75 degrees. In fact, a lot of times I cover my fixture with a blanket if it's uh, down in the basement and it's too cool to make sure that you have at least 70 degrees, preferably 75 degrees. You need the light for 18 hours a day. Now, if you're going to put a blanket over it, make sure that in that time those fixtures aren't going to get so hot that they burn the blanket. If that's the case, then you need to support it some other way. Now, as soon as, as soon as the seedlings begin to come up, you need to remove the plastic cover. Keep the lights an inch to two inches above these little seedlings as they grow. Now, once you get them up to where you can handle them, you need to put them into transplanting packs. Those you can use practically any time, any kind that you want. Uh, if you've used, if you if you've bought uh, plants in the past, you can use the leftover packs. Uh, you can actually buy these packs at garden centers, although it may be difficult to get them right now. But anyway, one of the things you need to make sure of is if you have, if you have so many plants that you can't get them under your lights, you need to figure out where you're going to put them. So before you really get started on this thing, again, you need to decide how many you're going to have, how much space you're going to need. Now, if you do have them into the packs, you can actually put these outdoors on mild days, but you're going to have to move them in at night or when we're going to have a cold day. So there's a lot of planning that needs to be done as you go ahead and put this stuff together and, and, and proceed on this. Lots of things that can be seeded now. I think we talked about things last week like the coals and the tomatoes and so forth. It's about eight weeks to planting out, and that's about how long it takes for these seedlings to get up to planting out size. So it's time to start. Now, we want to take a walk around the yard while we can and enjoy the things that are starting, like the little green shoots and the spring flowers, the squirrels, snowdrops, and daffodils. This is one of the most enjoyable time of the year, so get out and enjoy life. Okay, Jim, we thank you for sharing your expertise. And one of the lessons I, I heard from you that I hear every year is plan before you plant, right? That is correct. Yes, that's very important. And uh, it, it's, it's very difficult if you, if you just go ahead and plant and all of a sudden you have all these seedlings that you want to throw away, but you don't want to throw away. Right. So anyway, do, do your planning ahead of time. Okay, well, thank you very much. We look forward to your visit next week and uh, the important uh, advice I have for you and Jane, stay healthy and stay away from me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture here on the Saturday Morning Show. 25 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show. I'm hearing a roll of thunder or two, but not a really big thunderstorm here in Huntley, Illinois, just off I-90 at Highway 47. But we are getting uh, rain, and uh, we are hearing rolls of thunder from time to time. But thankfully, nothing at this point is what I would rank as severe. But, uh, yeah, we're getting some moisture and some lightning 
and thunder. So if you're out driving, be careful, slow down, because those pavements get wet and slippery. And uh, if you've ever experienced uh, gliding along on a rain-covered roadway, you know that uh, suddenly you can be in trouble if uh, you're driving too fast. There are areas in agriculture that uh, require getting together from time to time. Kristen Decker, who grew up in Milford, Illinois, uh, her dad operates a livestock auction, and uh, I was uh, talking to her this week because farmers, if they have livestock to sell, they want to get it sold in a timely fashion. So they depend on markets like uh, their market down at Milford. One day a week, they'll do the auction of cattle and other livestock. So uh, that requires people coming together in a rather close place. So I talked to, uh, to Kristen this week about how things went because they did hold the auction on Thursday. Now, something uh, that they put out ahead of time, they asked that there be no spectators for the auction of livestock, only sellers or buyers, no spectators. And so I talked to her after the Thursday auction, and I guess pretty much everybody followed the rules on it, uh, but they did have a successful auction, and the auction went for uh, until 6 o'clock at least, so... And that's one other segment of agriculture that needs to take place because when those animals are ready to sell and process, can't wait. They've got to go when they're ready to go. And so uh, any of you who operate livestock auctions on a weekly basis, as the Deckers do down at Milford, that's a good rule to put out. Spectators, no. Buyers and sellers, yes. But again, just the, just the uh, buyers and sellers and not the spectators, so keep that in mind. 27 and a half minutes after 5 o'clock, and of course we did get the CARES legislation passed. That's what they're calling it, C-A-R-E-S. It's the biggest uh, uh, legislation from the standpoint of money and dollars available to uh, help people caught by the uh, coronavirus, and uh, so that law is passed. The president signed it, and uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said yesterday that the House will set up a panel to oversee expenditures under the $2.2 trillion coronavirus relief law. Uh, Pelosi made the statement in an MSNBC interview when asked about a statement by President Trump rejecting aspects of a provision in the law setting up an inspector general to audit some loans and investments. The speaker, Pelosi, said Congress will exercise its oversight and we will have our panel appointed by the House in real time to make sure we know where those funds are being expand, uh, expended. So uh, the House apparently will keep an eye on where the money goes in the CARE Act that is now 
law. 29 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show, and we'll be back to share more with you when we continue on the Saturday Morning Show. When it comes to uh, the challenge of coronavirus, uh, we're not uh, the only country in the world to be going through that. And of course, the big change we've seen in our agriculture is the fact that we're international agriculture indeed international and we like to keep an eye on south america because south america has become one of our major competitors in agricultural production so this headline on reuters caught my attention brazil's agriculture ministry issued an order yesterday deeming truck stops gas stations and highway diners as essential services seeking to ensure cargo haulers keep moving grains, feed, and meat to markets at home and abroad despite the pandemic. So states and municipalities have imposed strict quarantine measures to combat the fast-spreading disease, and that, of course, threatens to disrupt food production and the shipment of farm products to supermarkets and ports. In Brazil, one of the world's largest producers of food and the top exporter of soy, beef, coffee, and sugar. With the newly imposed restrictions, truckers were facing difficulties finding restaurants, rest stops, and auto repair services on journeys across the country, which is Latin America's largest economy, often covering up to uh, 2,000 miles to ship grains to port. And so the government said, The restaurants and the gas stations and the diners indeed are essential to not only our food production, but to getting the food to the supermarkets and cities and also getting the food to ports for shipment to countries that have made purchases of those products from Brazil. So uh, essential is the term to keep grains flowing despite the coronavirus So in Brazil, if you're a country coffee shop or restaurant, you are an essential industry, as is the case here in the United States, too. And I was very pleased, and I've heard from just about every agricultural organization, their uh, appreciation of the fact that food and agriculture have been proclaimed an essential industry which allows those industries to do what they do to produce the food and then to get it to the supermarkets. And that that is a challenge, as we're finding. We do not have a shortage of food, but uh, we do have a challenge getting the food to the supermarkets so it can get to the consumers. You're listening to WGN Radio Chicago, and we'll be back with Samuelson Says when we continue on the Saturday morning show. I know you're getting anxious to get out into the fields and start the crop for 2020, but uh, it could be a little while before that happens. However, this week, the Department of Agriculture talked about the uh, wheat, feed grains, and oil seeds national loan rates for 2020 because the 2018 Farm Bill extended the Marketing Assistance Loan Program, making production for the 2019 through 2023 crops eligible 
for loan benefits, national loan rates for 2020 crop wheat, feed grains, and oil seeds are unchanged from their 2019 crop levels. But let me quickly share them with you because you'll be able to get them too at your Farm Service Agency office. But uh, the 2020 wheat, feed grains, and oil seeds national loan rates for wheat, $3.38 a bushel. Corn, $2.20 per bushel. Grain sorghum, $2.20 per bushel. Barley, $2.50 per bushel. Oats, $2 per bushel. Soybeans, $6.20 per bushel. And other oil seeds, $10.09 per hundredweight for each other oil seed. Those numbers released this week by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Now it's time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion talking about these unusual times. Thanks for calling 1-800-GOT-JUNK. This is Sarah. How can I help? I've been working from home. When did my house get so small? Your house feels smaller than before? Yes. Where did all this junk come from? It's invisible until the day you notice it. You can make it disappear and all I have to do is point? Yes. I don't have to touch anything? You touch nothing, and we touch only the things we're going to carry away. When can you come? We'll be there before you hang up the phone. When you want junk to disappear, call 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Or visit 1-800-GOT-JUNK.com. So how are you spending your time when we have to avoid public contact? What are you doing to pass the time of day? Well, if you're a farmer or a farm wife, I pretty much know what you're doing. You're doing what you generally do, producing food and making sure that we have an ample supply for the public on the farm and off the farm during these difficult times. How many times have you said or heard somebody else say, these are difficult times? We've never experienced a time like this before. But I think if we go back in history, as I mentioned a week ago, yes, we have experienced something similar, but not quite of this magnitude involving the world. But since I am a broadcaster on WGN Radio in Chicago, I am pleased by the fact that we're not talking about food shortages. I'm pleased by the fact that we are not talking about having to be concerned about food shortages because agriculture is one of those essential industries that cannot shut down. You can shut down equipment manufacturing lines. You can shut down laboratories that make crop protection chemicals. But you can't shut down agriculture. And I try to preach that every day at one time or another when I'm on the air. The fact that we're not talking about food shortage in this country is, I think, a compliment to the food producers in this country who, regardless of what's going on around them, they do what they do every day. And most of them get to do it from home. They don't have to travel somewhere else to do it. But during the many declarations that we have heard from Washington and various state governments, agriculture and food production are two industries that are essential industries. 
which allows them to do what they do better than anybody else in the world. So I guess the fact that we're not talking about food shortage should be taken as a compliment to agricultural producers, and I will certainly add my compliment to those producers who day after day do what they have to do to produce food for you and me. Thank you. My thoughts on Samuelson Says, a presentation of Nexstar Media Group at 20 minutes before 6 o'clock. And uh, we have Mark Pearson and uh, his market guest ready, standing by, to talk about market activity in these challenging times. And uh, so we'll get to that when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-630-1133. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-630-1133. 800-630-1133. That's 800-630-1133. 19 minutes before 6 o'clock news time here on WGN Radio. And working from my studio in Huntley, Illinois. Haven't heard any rolls of thunder recently, but... We do have thunderstorm activity in various areas of the Midwest, so we'll be getting some rain along with the lightning and the thunder. And again, be careful if you're out driving in this weather. The uh, market story, probably the most challenging time I've ever had in the times that I've been reporting markets from the stock markets to the agricultural markets at the Board of Trade and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Can't remember a time as challenging as this one because you never know from day to day what's going to happen as we saw this week. When I saw the headline that the stock market had its best three days in history in trade during the week, I thought, my golly, you know, that's nine decades that we've been watching this. And uh, here we come with the three best days in the history of the uh, stock market. But anyway, um, we do have our good friend, fellow farm broadcaster Mark Pearson standing by and uh, Mark is going to discuss the market activity so at uh, 17 minutes before six Mark let me turn it over to you. Now it's time to chat markets. Joining us is Arlen Suderman from INTLFC Stone. Arlen thanks for taking the time to break down what's happening in the markets of agriculture with us. Glad to be here today. I think one of the first stories we've got to dive into is what's happening in the ethanol market. We've seen a couple of big announcements this week from some major players in ethanol. What's your read on the situation here as we head into uh, early spring? Well, we've seen kind of the perfect storm go against the ethanol industry this week. Uh, 
with the combination of the price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia causing crude oil prices to crash, therefore gasoline prices breaking below the price of ethanol. And then you add to that the coronavirus, which is we're basically shutting down the economy in the United States in order to try to control the disease. And as such, people aren't driving. And when they're not driving, therefore you reduce the amount of mandated blended ethanol. So demand for ethanol is going down. Uh, the price of ethanol plummeting hard, still above the price of gasoline though. Margins dramatically compressed. Really the worst crisis we've seen for the ethanol industry since its founding in a very short three to five day period. But Arlen, as long as we have the RFA in place, we're still going to be mandated to use up 15-ish billion gallons of ethanol, correct? Well, it still has to be blended. And so we have to find a home for it. So we, we can use those RINs in order to replace that. So when you're using RINs, then you're not consuming ethanol and building up the supplies. And uh, we really didn't see too much drop in gasoline consumption until this last week's data. Wednesday's data, which was for the week ending on Friday, that went, that's when we saw a dramatic drop in gasoline consumption across America and therefore a dramatic drop in the need to blend ethanol. And we expect those numbers to get much worse in the weeks ahead. Now, is this uh, kind of a V-bottom you're anticipating if things get worse and then hopefully people start driving again and we can climb our way out of this? Or is this something we're going to keep an eye on through the summer and into the fall? It is our hope that it can be a V-bottom, but we really don't know because we really don't know what the peak coronavirus is going to look like. We uh, passed the stimulus bill through the Senate and through the House. Uh, hoping that it will help keep people employed so that once we hit peak coronavirus and we start coming out the other side, we can get people back to work very quickly, back in their cars driving again, uh, consuming gasoline and uh, therefore consuming ethanol once again. But we really don't know if coronavirus stays on top of us and keeps the economy shut down for months instead of weeks then it could be much more dramatic. And so it's the uncertainty that has everyone afraid. Now, it's that uncertainty that has sent grocery store buyers to the grocery stores to buy out bread aisles. And we have seen the wheat market really running with this news. Where do you think wheat's headed from here in the short term? Well, that's one of the interesting dynamics of people eating from home rather than eating out. We've become a culture, not just in the United States, but globally that eats out a lot in, in most countries, developed countries of the world. And we know that when people, the numbers vary from country to country, but when people eat out, they tend to eat more meat, uh, larger portions, and less grain and vegetables. The reverse of that's when they eat at home, less meat, smaller portions. If they have leftovers, they put them in the refrigerator, pull them out the next day as leftovers, and more focus on grains and vegetables. So we've seen this rush to stock the refrigerators and stock the freezers. That's given us unprecedented demand for meat. Um, but also for flour, bread, uh, some people learning how to bake again, uh, getting those bread products. And overall, we think it's longer term demand for wheat products. And we'll be back for more with Arlen Suderman from INTL FC Stone in just a minute. And we're back chatting markets with Arlen Suderman from INTL FC Stone. Arlen, we had a chance to discuss the wheat market just briefly. Bring us up to speed. How long can this rally in wheat run? Yeah, it really depends on how long the coronavirus is affecting the world. But basically, as people are eating at home, they do consume more cereals, and that means more, more wheat demand. So it's more than just a short-term demand thing, we think. 
Uh, if the coronavirus continues to keep consumers at home or around the world, then they'll be eating more bread and we think it'll last longer. We have plenty of wheat in the world, but not plenty of milling wheat. Milling wheat is what is tight. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the soybean markets. We've seen soybeans really kind of a rocket ship earlier this week. Where do beans go from here? Well, there's a couple of factors at play here. First of all, there's a lot of question about soy meal availability from Argentina because local jurisdictions are limiting truck movement of soybeans to crushing plants. And so customers worried about being able to get their soy meal demands met, Argentina being the biggest exporter of soy meal, are coming to the United States increasing demand here. Soy meal is going higher, pushing soybeans higher as well. Longer term though, our export numbers are pretty slim and it's going to be tough for us to hit the target in the current marketing year. But as we get to later in the year, we see Brazil's production numbers coming down, maybe significantly because dryness in the south. That's going to give us an aggressive export program this fall. Now, with the price of meal climbing as it has been doing, do we have enough crush capacity to continue to expand to meet that demand? So far, we do. We don't see any problems there. Our, we've been adding to our crush capacity in the United States and it's filling the demand. One of the things we have seen over the past week has been a huge rebound in cattle futures. Where do you see cattle moving from here? Are we finally seeing the market recognize the fact that consumers are still buying beef out in the grocery store? They are aggressively buying and that's caused uh, product prices to really skyrocket higher. We're aggressively pulling cattle through the plants. We've seen estimated packer margins over $600 per head. And so near term, we are setting records on slaughter. Longer term, if people are staying at home, they eat less meat and we see that slowing down. That's why the deferred contracts have been much weaker. Now, before we let you go, Arlen, we gotta have a little conversation about hogs. Cattle have been a rocket ship. Hogs have been higher, but not necessarily as high as quickly as cattle. Is the hog market, are the traders still waiting to see export commitments from China continue to grow? Yeah, we expanded hog production 18 months ago because of ASF. Now the pork uh, exports are finally here. We've had three solid months of exports of China getting very aggressive, and but we just have a lot of pork in the freezer. We gotta work through that surplus before we can really justify sustained rally. So we gotta see consumers get out there, keep buying meat at the grocery store, both cattle and hogs to keep this rally going. Yeah, and some good news is it looks like April might be above normal temperatures, and that would certainly help get people out on their decks grilling again. That is what we need, a good start to a grilling season. Arlen Suderman from INTL FC Stone, thanks for taking the time to join us here on This Week in Agribusiness. We're at nine minutes before six o'clock, and they were talking about what's happened to the, uh, uh, to the uh, ethanol industry because of what's going on. The U.S. EPA yesterday unveiled measures to help oil refineries cope with fallout from the coronavirus outbreak, including waiving anti-smog requirements for gasoline and extending the deadline for small facilities to show compliance with the nation's biofuels law. The outbreak has touched off a massive global decline in demand for motor fuels and forced companies to reduce staffing levels to slow the infection rates. Typically, U.S. fuel dealers are required to stop selling winter-grade gasoline on the 1st of May as summer anti-smog standards come into play, but marketers will be allowed to sell the fuel until at least May 20th and possibly beyond. 
EPA Chief Andrew Wheeler said the reason we have to do this is because people are driving fewer miles and the winter blends are stockpiled in all the tanks. There's no place to put the summer blends. So the EPA, he said, will also extend the deadline for small oil refineries to prove their compliance with the renewable fuel standards, the law that requires refineries to blend billions of gallons of biofuels like ethanol into their fuel or buy credits from those that do. Refiners are typically required to prove their compliance by March 31st, but facilities with less than 75,000 barrels of daily processing capacity will be given extensions. Wheeler said the decision was related to ongoing litigation over the agency's small refinery exemption program, which can free some small plants from obligations under the renewable fuel standards. A federal court, though, ruled in January that the EPA had been too free with the waivers, and while the agency did not challenge the ruling, some refineries have. Wheeler said it would be unfair to force small refineries to comply with the RFS before the case is over. We got some sad news this week when uh, the Farm Foundation uh, announced to me in a news release that Carol Brookins, a former roundtable participant and board member of the Farm Foundation, passed away. She was actively involved in the roundtable for many years at the Farm Foundation, and she passed away from the COVID-19 virus at age 75 this week. But what a pioneer she was for women in the market industry because she ended up in charge of the commodity section for E.F. Hutton and did so many other important and uh, moving ahead type of things for women in the marketplace. I interviewed her quite a few times, saw her on the trading floor at our markets in Chicago. Often she indeed was a pioneer, but she was a delightful pioneer because I enjoyed her very much. So uh, our condolence to the Carol Brookins family on her passing at age 75. Five minutes before six o'clock, a little more to come here on the Saturday Morning Show. And before we say farewell to you on this Saturday morning, uh, here at my studios in Huntley, Illinois, haven't heard any rolls of thunder lately, but we do have thunderstorm activity in the area. Quick look at where we ended the week on prices because uh, Mark and uh, Alan Suderman talked about why the markets did what they did. But at the Board of Trade, wheat futures were higher yesterday. Optimism about export prospects as a Russian plan to cap grain exports for the rest of the season shifted attention back to potential supply tensions during the pandemic. Soybean futures ended modestly higher, but corn futures fell on prospects for further reductions in the production of corn-based ethanol. So at the end of the trading week yesterday, the May wheat contract was up three and three-quarter cents 
ending the week at $5.71 and a quarter cents a bushel. May corn down two and a quarter cents. No, make that two and three quarter cents, ending the week at $3.46 a bushel. And the May soybean price up three and a quarter cents, ending the week at $8.81 a bushel. Then we turn to the livestock trade at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. The Lean Hog Futures contract tumbled yesterday. Several contracts down the expanded daily limit of $4.5 per hundredweight on worries about a slowdown in demand for pork and fears that the coronavirus could shutter processing plants, potentially backing up hog supplies. The live cattle and feeder cattle futures also fell sharply in yesterday's trade at the Merck. So a quick look at those prices. May, uh, let's make it the June lean hog contract down the $4.50 daily limit. That put it June hogs at 64.25 a hundredweight. The April live cattle down the $4.50 limit, closing at $100.95. And the April feeder cattle contract down the $4.50 per hundredweight daily limit, ending the week at $120.60. Well, it happens every week about this time. We're out of time. Our thanks to Bob Ferguson, who does the great engineering work here on the Saturday Morning Show. Thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next week on the Saturday Morning Show.